Welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. My name is Amber Larkins, published photographer, storytelling expert, visual artist, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach. This podcast was born from one question. How do I get inspiring stories of triumph out to the people who need to hear them the most? Come with me, enter my world where lives are getting changed, heroes are getting developed, and greatness is being achieved. Hello and welcome to Through the Trauma Podcast. I am Amber Larkins, your host, and today I have with me a very special guest. This is Mr. Paul Zolman. He is an international best-selling author of The Role of Love, and he has created a very unique and interesting product for just helping people, and his heart behind this is just, I've been really intrigued and amazed by, so... Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Amber. Pleasure to be with you today. Yeah. So I know I kind of gave that quick bio. Is there anything else you want to add for the guests to kind of know about you? You know what, Amber? I like the shorter, the better. And um, it just <laughs> it makes, makes it a whole lot easier. I, I have been in the financial industry, you know, but it really doesn't matter to the podcast today. I've, I've been a CFO of a public company. And I currently do merchant services, just help people that uh, are trying to get into business, make sure they have the ability to take credit card as payment. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Well, I always love talking to entrepreneurs. I feel like entrepreneurs and athletes have this mindset that is like growth mindset. It's an ambitious kind of mindset. And I always love chatting with, with anyone that kind of has done amazing things in fitness and or business. So I'm happy to have you on today. So let's just kind of jump right into it. You you were telling me before we got on the call today that you have a story. You have a story of trauma that's kind of ushered you into this business that you're doing now, which is very heart-centered and purpose-driven. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your past and what's kind of pushed you into this? Thank you, Amber. I I actually want to start uh, with my grandfather. My grandfather was born in Indiana and, and got married and raised a family there. He had nine children, and shortly after that ninth child, his wife passed away. He was so distraught about that, Amber, that he he uh, so decided he was going to sell the farm. He was going to, it, it was flight. It was just flight or fight, and he chose flight here. But he was going to sell the farm sell all the equipment. And then when people came to pick up the equipment or came to the auction, I don't remember exactly what it was, but when they came, he said, would you like this child? And would you like this child? And would you like this child? And he systematically gave away all the children except for one. So he took one child out of those nine children, he took just one child with him, took Benjamin with him to Montana. And in Montana, found a school teacher that had not been married. With her, he had another 10 children, of which my father's number six. <clears throat> my father was born in 1922, and when he was 10 years old in 1932, his father, that grandfather, passed away. So here you have 19 children that really have, have been abandoned, either by death or by just moving away and just being so distraught that way. This grandfather really probably most likely did not know how to handle his emotions. 
And it, so that's the kind of environment my father grew up in. And then I'm number 10 of 11 children myself. Uh, <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm the youngest boy. And you know, my father, because it was 1932 when his father passed away, he was only 10 years old. He could only go to school a few more years before he actually had to drop out and start working and doing things for the family. So he only graduated with an eighth grade education. With that, he became a truck driver and was able to learn diesel mechanics and that sort of thing to make, make a living for, for his family. We moved to central Montana and and in that circumstance, it was um, what was very characteristic of my father to be gone during the week and then just be home on the weekend. He came home every single Friday. And on Friday, I loved this part about him that he, like clockwork, would take my mother out for a date every Friday. I love that example. I loved, loved it then. I loved it, love it still today. But the venue was not the greatest. It was the Maverick Bar, and it was all over alcohol. And as he became an imbibe, you know, my mother's sharing, well, what, what was your week like? What was your week like? They do that couple sharing, as most couples do. And it takes a while for my mother to go through all the children to get down to, I'm the second to be, second of the youngest child, and to get down to me. So by this time, my father's been annoyed, 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 and he's ready to blow up. And so it comes down to me. He just remembers, of course, my name. It seems like seems like it was all about me. And I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was a lot different than that. But it seemed like it was just about me. And it was either the belt or a, a really severe spanking. I remember one time being so severely spanked that I was really I was black and blue for more than three weeks. It was just just that type of situation. So to run away from that, you know, it's like Ghostbuster. Who's who are you going to call? Back in the day, it was there was just not the the network that there is to call right now. So there wasn't anybody call that I knew of. I didn't know what to do about it except move out. So that's what I did. I moved away at, right after my junior year of high school. Moved in with my brother, and then he subsequently got transferred down to California. And then I, I spent the rest of my senior year of high school in California. From that situation, my brother was a very good father. He was a very trying to be a very good example, but he still had that issue of flashing. And I think that that um, over the years, from this this childhood amber of, of child abuse that I grew up in, I really had a lot of res what I call residual anger. And it was you know I I'd commit to myself I'm not going to get angry. But then somebody would do something that annoyed me, and then it annoyed me, annoyed me, annoyed me, annoyed me, and then I started flash, just like my dad, and just like my brother had that same same issue. And so I wanted to really move away from that and try to try to figure it out. I um, just about about age thirty five, I decided that I I before up until about age thirty five, I was blaming my father for all these problem problematic relationships, all these problems with social interaction, all those things I was blaming on my father, when in fact, actually, it was a generational thing passed down, not a genetic thing, but more of a generational thing that had been passed down from his father and, and maybe in subsequent, uh, maybe the great grandfather as well. Who knows how far back it goes, but 
But there came a time at age 35, I thought, I'm responsible for my own actions. And I started taking that responsibility. I realized then, Amber, that if I can blame someone, I don't, I'm not the person that's at fault. It's their fault. I don't have to change. So if blame, if you can blame someone for anything, you don't have to change anything that you're doing, which is really kind of a sad way to live. It's like you're the victim and and it's their fault. It's always their fault. And it's just playing that is not, not really a good, good way to live your life. It's better to be more proactive. So so after age 35, I keep trying, keep trying, keep failing, and, and it's just not working. So that flashing that do, that I had, that problem that I had, actually was probably contributory to the to the demise of my first marriage. I went, my wife and I were married 23 and a half years, and then then just uh, separated, and I was kind of in a, a lonely state. My wife would have the children for uh just for for one weekend um and then I'd have them the rest of the rest of the time and then from, for my weekend but I had custody of the children after after the divorce in in that time period when she would have those have the children uh I would do what I call destination dating I was having a it was midlife crisis I didn't have a time of my life I would go to all these different places for a date so I was living in uh, Charleston, South Carolina at the time, and I went down to Daytona Beach in Jacksonville, Columbia, South Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, New York City, Nashville, Kansas, Kansas City, uh, Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, Snowflake, Arizona, Cabo San Lucas, all these different cities I was going for destination dating, having a great time uh, time of my life. And I spent more than $10,000 just on those those types of destination days it was just really fun, but I was done. So when I'm done, I'm living in Phoenix at the time, relocated from Charleston to Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix, and my sister, who lives about seven hours away from Phoenix, said, I have a neighbor that I'd like to introduce you. And I said, nah, I'm all done destination dating. I don't want to do that anymore at all. So she, she's a big sister, and, I, and she said, oh, come on. And I thought, oh, now she pulled that. I got she pulled rank. I got to follow what Big Sister says. So, so I I started corresponding with this neighbor, and it just was a fun relationship. We decided that I, I actually moved up to where my sister lived, and started dating a little bit more. Then it was time that it was getting kind of serious. So it's time for Big Brother approval. Like I said, I'm number ten of eleven. I, I always have to have that Big Brother approval. So I took her 300 miles north to my big brother's house. First thing we, that happened when we walked in that house is my sister-in-law pulled her aside, said, the only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up was anger. At first I did not. I said, oh, uh, and it made me mad. And I thought, huh, that's, she nailed it. And, and it's just, I thought that I'd already overcome it, but I just thought that if there's an opportunity now's the time to change that perception of the Zolman family. I can change it right now. So I started studying the color code and I, and I kind of settled on, and then uh, started reading the five love languages and settled on the principles of the five love languages, the principles only. I didn't get the application. You mean, Amber, I'm supposed to guess what your love language is and then cater to that? And you're gonna call that love, Dr. Chapman? 
I'm a bad guesser. That's not going to work for me. That didn't work for me. So, so the next thing that Dr. Chapman has is that, well, if you take this survey, then you can find what your primary love language is. What am I supposed to do with that, Amber? Advertise? Hello, Amber. I'm Gifts. What do you have for me today? That's a little bit awkward. Very awkward. Both of those didn't sound like love to me. And what, what did I know, though? I, I didn't grow up in love. I grew up in, in the opposite of love. I grew up in that angry environment. But one thing that we did do that I felt loving, kind of, because it was more locker room smack talk than anything else, was that we played games together as a family. I thought, what if I could make a game of these principles of the five love languages? And I, so I contacted Dr. Chapman and asked him, are you licensing those little icons, those little pictures that you have for each one of the love languages? Thankfully, he said no, and because they were dated, they're, they're very old from, from the early 90s. And so I thought, great, I'm going to go talk. I went to talk to a copyright attorney, an intellectual property attorney here in town. He said that theory is not copyrightable. Application is. So they didn't have it as a game. So I thought, I'll make my own icons and then make it into a game. So that's what I did. So I created a die. On the die, it has each one of the love language. There's the gifts, touch, time, service, and the words. So five love languages, six sides on the die. The sixth side is what I call surprise me. So there's just two instructions, Amber. You roll the die every day. That's the love language you practice all day that day, all day. It's not like, woohoo, I did the dishes, I'm done. It's not like that at all. It's practicing that all day long. So what, and it's not just to significant others. To me, when I read that in the love languages, I, I was single. I didn't have a significant other. Who am I going to practice this to? So I had to make a decision. I'm going to give love away to everybody. And I realized by doing that, Amber, that that's the only thing I have control over, sending it out. I don't have any control. I can't bid love to come my way. I can't. I mean, I was looking for it in all the wrong places, as the song goes. I can't bid it to come my way. But I can send it out without any expectation of it coming back, but trusting and knowing that karma or, or the law of attraction or whatever you want to call it, that's going to bring it back. It's a boomerang effect that'll come right back. So trusting that, that's what I did. By doing that over a 30-day period, Amber, what happened is that I learned all the five love languages. I could, I could tell you them backwards and forwards. I knew them by what I was doing to send it out. And the best part about that is that I could see it when it came my way. Even though it wasn't my primary love language, I could see it. Oh, they're loving on me. I can respond appropriately to that. So it kind of gave me peripheral vision that I didn't have before. One thing I want to kind of point out as far as the transition or the trans transformation was, it, is that um, it's kind of what I relate to. Uh, I found a, a stick, a walking stick the other day when I was out walking. And it, on one end of the stick, it, the stick didn't have any bark on it at all. So one end of the stick was just very smooth and very nice. And then you get to the other end of the stick, and it's got all these little gnarly spots on it, little knots. So this I call this my knotty and my nice stick. 
I'm, I'm sure Santa Claus has a stick just like that. Christmas is coming. It's going to, going to be a happy time, I'm sure, for those people that are nice. But um, so what, when I put that in perspective, I, I found out from that visit with, to my sister-in-law and brother for, with that woman, I found out that I really kind of was on the naughty side of the stick. That anger in all, in all its um, attendance has, has uh, humor that's angry, angry humor. It has angry words. It has angry tones of the voice. And it has just a kind of an angry culture all by itself. On the contrast of that, love has its own language. Love has its own humor. Love has its own kind words. And love has just, it's just a totally different culture. I wanted to move away from that angry culture to that other end of the spectrum. I think that it's very important for your listeners, Amber, to understand that anytime we can identify where, where we are on the, that spectrum, that's the only time we, we can do anything about it. If we don't know where we're at, we can't, we're not self-actualizing enough to get to, to understand where we're at on that spectrum. We really can't make any decisions. But once we understand it, we've got three choices. We can either stay, stay where we're at and start blaming people around us, and that's going to keep us right where we're at. It's not gonna not our fault. We're just, it's their fault, and and we're just we're not moving anywhere on the stick. We can become more angry, or we can become more loving. And even if you're closer on the end of the loving part of it, you can probably become even a little bit more loving. This focus on love every single day, rolling the die every single day, it changes the whole mindset. What I found and what helped me, Amber, is that that it changed my mindset to what's right about that person? What can I love about that person? And I was so busy doing those two things, thinking those two things every time for everybody I met, that I stopped being annoyed. And when I stopped being annoyed, I didn't have the stacking effect and then the flash. I did not have people go down that path and say, what's wrong with that person? Because that's the start of an annoyance. Why did that person just cut me off in traffic? That's the start of an annoyance. You got to stop being annoyed. That's it. Just stop being annoyed, annoyed at what other people do. It's not your. It's out of your lane. It's not something that you have control over. Uh, what their choices are is not none of your. Uh, it's none of your business, really. It, and it's none. Nothing that you really can can uh, stop or start for them it's one of the it's one of the hardest things i think as as humans like to adapt our mindset to that is the fact that you can't control what anyone thinks about you you can't control what how people treat you the only thing you can control is how you treat others and how you respond to what they've done or are not doing to you so i have a question for you here how would you how would how does someone gather that awareness? So you said that first they have to have an awareness that they are getting angry or that they, and I'm a full proponent of this as well. Like you have to know this is a problem before you can fix the problem. But how would you tell someone like, this is how you find out that you have this problem? Because sometimes that mindset shift is they don't know and they're just going with the flow of life. You know right. what I mean? 
Yeah, and it, it was that for me too, Amber, is, is I didn't know what I didn't know because that's what the way I was raised. And I'm sure my father felt the same way. He was raised that way in eighth grade education. He didn't know what he didn't know. And it's it, it, until we decide that we're going to put a name to our activity, when we put a name to our activity, for example, say sarcasm. When you put a name to sarcasm, you put a name to that particular activity you're doing, then the question is, is it on the naughty side of the stick or the nice side of the stick? And sarcasm, I would say, would be on the naughty side of the stick. Even though sometimes it's funny, as funny as it can be, it's on the naughty side of the stick. And and doing that, by doing that start of self-actualization, is this activity, whatever the name of that activity might be, is it on the naughty side of the stick or is it on the nice side of the stick? Figure out what the opposite is. So for sarcasm, for example, being authentic, being genuine, being being realistic, that is different. That's total opposite of being uh, sarcastic. So now, knowing that opposite, do you really want to be sarcastic or do you really want to be genuine? That's the only time you can make the choice. And you just do it one at a time. I want your listeners to understand, Amber, and that you don't don't go to the point of hashing through this that you're overwhelmed. Handle that one thing at a time. That's the best thing. And then just inch by inch, you'll make that improvement. Just inch by inch, you'll move closer to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. But it start, you have to start with that. And once you start with that, the analysis part, which might take a while in the beginning, you'll become very, very, uh, uh, very good at the analysis that you'll be able to see things in opposites. You'll be able to see, oh, what's the contrast of that behavior? You'll find out, oh, there's a better behavior. The opposite behavior is really the behavior that I want in my life. And then you have opportunity. You know where you're at. You have opportunity to pursue that better behavior. And I think what you're talking about here is being intentional. Like that's what I'm hearing you say is this intentionality. And I just was thinking as you were talking, you know, um, it's like anything that we focus on, and we've touched on this in the podcast before, I'm sure you can, you agree, but anything that you focus on is going to expand. So if I'm focused on being nice or focused on seeing my flaws and correcting those flaws or becoming a better person or becoming a stronger mindset, whatever I focus on, that's going to kind of stand out to me if I'm intentionally thinking that. So I love what your game does, like what the die do, because it's forcing you, like you roll the die, you come up with touch. So, you know, you're shaking people's hand or you're patting them on the back or, you know, whatever you're intentionally doing that throughout the day. Yeah. High five. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I've often said that that's, that's huge. Um, you know, if being empathetic to someone, like if you see someone hurting or in pain, like just patting them on the hand or just grabbing their hand like that, Mm -hmm. that says more than words could really say. Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that what you're saying, what you're doing with this, with this game is you're helping people be very intentional about showing love in a real way. And that also is going to expand. The more that you do that, it's like a muscle. It's like when you're in the gym and you're lifting weights, the more that you lift that weight, 
the stronger you're going to get. So the more that you're intentionally looking to do these things, you're intentionally showing love, the more it's going to expand as well. And you're going to grow stronger and you're going to become more aware. I, I am completely amazed by this game. And I know that I need to have this in my house, especially for, <laughs> for my kids. Uh, Cause we do games as well. We, that's something okay. that we do at our house. And um, I love it because as siblings, I'm an only child, but I have two kids. So as siblings, there's lots of sibling rivalry. <laughs> so this, this would be great for kids. Absolutely. It is great for kids. I, I really love what you said too. I'd like to compare it to a magnifying glass that a magnifying glass is going to make something bigger. And if, if you, if you want to focus on the, the faults or the weaknesses of another person and make them bigger, guess what? That's a boomerang that's coming right back at you and it'll come fast. It'll come fast. You won't even be able to see it. It'll come so fast that they'll, they're also all of a sudden looking at your faults, looking at your weaknesses. And really, do you want that? Who wants that? Why would you do that? Then stop it. That's all you need to do. Just stop it. It sounds simplistic, but it's just stop it. There's a better thing to do. But when you stop, stop a behavior like that, you've got to have the replacement. And that was really key for me, Amber, that that instead of doing that annoyance and doing those the stacking the annoyances and flashing, instead of doing that, the intentional and the purposeful uh, rolling the die and then following that, rolling it in the morning, following that that um, mantra or following that, uh, I, some people have called it a divining tool. So just following what, what that dice has said, just do that all day long and watch for those opportunities makes you so busy that you forget about what's wrong with that person. You forget about their faults, but you're focusing, like you said, focusing on those things that are good. Those also will be magnifying them. What I found by magnifying that in other people is that they didn't know. In many cases, they didn't know that they even had the quality that I see in them. And they're saying, oh, really? And it kind of makes their day. When you make somebody's day or when you, what I call light them up, when you, when they light up, that's the love language they like. Just remember, make a mental note. You don't have to give them a survey to ask how, how am I supposed to love you? You don't have to do that. And it's kind of awkward to stop, say, can you stop the relationship? I need to, we need to pause so I can t have you take this, this uh, survey. And this is really kind of awkward just too too awkward so just roll the dice and watch use your observation skills to watch their reaction not everybody's going to be time not everybody's going to be touch but when you find them you'll know by how they light up just take those mental notes and and just wash rinse repeat do it over and over again i love that and i love that you know it's just showing love in general like when I read that book, the, the five love languages, I was still a little confused myself. I'm like, I don't really know what my love languages are. I like, I like them all, <laughs> you know, yeah, but, yeah. um, it's really kind of hard to define, but I think what you're doing is like every day doing a different random, like whatever random act of love. And just in general, you're going to become a happier person because you're, you're in service to people. And you are going to become more likable. Not that we do it for that reason, no. but people are going to notice like, 
wow, you're always so joyful. You're always doing these kind things. Um, and you know, a little bit goes a long way from as a business owner. And you know, I'm sure you maybe can relate to this as well, mm -hmm. but just, just being able to like give people a little something, you know, it's nothing to you, but it's something to them. And just, you know, I doing, doing little things is huge. And those little things stack up too. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but little no. things, they, they pile up and, and then more good things will happen because it just endears people to, to you. Not that you're trying to do that. All you're doing is sending out love and you're finding, finding, I, you know, the, Dr. Chapman identified that these principles of the love languages are things that Jesus did while he was on the earth. You know, he, he spent time with people. He ser served people. Of course, we love his words. And he touched people. Touched people and he had the gifts of the Spirit. So all the mm -hmm. love languages are within the life of Jesus Christ. So if you're intent on wanting to become more like Jesus Christ, and I imagine some of your listeners might want to be something like that. It was it resonated with me, but wanting to become more like him, this is a great way to do it. One thing you mentioned about children that I'd like to go back to, Amber, is that, you know, just think of this in a classroom. And I'm thinking K through six type of classroom where the classroom is together most of the day, you know, at the start of the day and at the end of the day. They're rolling the die at the beginning of the day. It takes two seconds to roll the die and maybe a few more seconds for the teacher to say, class, we're watching for these type of opportunities to love today in within our classroom or within the school situation. At the end of the day, the class takes takes note, writes a journal about it. They say what they what they rolled, what opportunities they saw to love in that way, and then what they did about those opportunities. So what you're teaching now, you're, you're teaching children responsibility for their own actions in a loving way. This is how you love. But they'll understand that if, it's, if it works for love, it'll also work for anything adverse. It'll work for hate. Work for in, You're going to be responsible for your actions. At the end of the day, the last 10 to 15 minutes, and I've talked to several teachers, is really nonproductive time. The children have been there all day. They know the bell's going to ring. They get a little antsy. They're not wanting to do much work at all. And it's just not productive time. Let's take that time that's non-productive, that they just are basically sitting there. Take that time and now make it productive. Have them write that journal. Write what, what they rolled or what they rolled as a class that day. The opportunities that they saw that day to love in that way. Then what they did about those opportunities. You know, I, I think back in my first grade years, and I remember Mrs. Rogers, my, my first grade teacher, I remember everybody remembers who their teachers are, especially if they had an impact on them. These teachers that would implement something like this would really have impact impact on the kids because they taught them how to love and taught them what appropriate love is. Uh, and I, I believe that by doing this, you're going to tamp down a lot of the mis, misbehaving that's going on in the schools a lot of the disrespect, because that's not love. Disrespect versus respect, naughty or nice. I mean, you'll understand where you are on the stick. They'll understand those opposites, and they'll want to be on the positive or the nice side of the stick, especially as a kid. You want to be ready for Santa Claus. You want to be there. You got you to gotta do it. And it's just going to help behavior. I think it'll tamp down any violence that might happen even later in life. If we can get into the school system to teach these children what appropriate behavior is, 
teach that first. Like mm. for me, it would have been a godsend for me because all mm. I saw was mostly inappropriate behavior as a child. And I had to move away to get away from it. But this, these children, if they can learn this while they're young, I, I'm sure it'll bless their life forever. Yeah. And there's something that happens with, like, I think with human nature where we, it's like the more that, like when we stop the chain of events, so you have a chain of events going on, this person's hateful to you and then you're hateful back to them. And it's like a domino effect of this, this happening. But when one person stands up and says, I'm going to be the bigger person here and I'm going to reverse that. So I'm going to be kind to this person. A miraculous thing starts to happen. And I'm sure you, you, you've seen this and I know you touched on it, mm -hmm. but I don't know if we directly talked about it, but there's, there is a, something that happens to where you start all of a sudden having empathy for this person. So now you can look back. Like I heard it when you were describing your childhood, you know, let's go back. Like you had, you know, the issues with your father, but you're like, this goes back to, it's like a, it's like a chain of events that has happened mm -hmm. and you get to you who says, I want to reverse this chain. I'm going to, instead of being bitter, I'm going to be better. I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to reverse it. And this is huge. You're disrupting. Yeah. That's and it's very huge. I feel like for, for just people in general, we live in a really like our world is, I feel like continuously getting worse More and it, yeah. And it's up to us to like, as an individual to say, I'm not going to give into this anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to love people. I'm going to see the best in people and I'm going to look for reasons that they've done the things that they've done. Even if they've harmed me, maybe, you know, something's happened to them that's made them react to me this way, but I can be bitter and lash back out or I can be better and try to reverse that trend of events from happening. So I think this is really remarkable. Like the thing that you, I've never seen a product quite like this where it really pushes the intentionality of mm -hmm. like, hey, let's reverse this. And I think that a lot of times people, some people that have been on this self-growth journey, I feel like they would see this and they would say, oh, I, you know, I see the complete value. But someone who maybe it's completely new to, to change and start being kind to people, that, I mean, this is huge to change the way that you see people to change the way that you're going to see yourself and then mm -hmm. to just start having more empathy in general for for people in general it promotes so many amazing qualities and things in humans and i think it's a remarkable game product or activity thank you, <laughs> thank you very much amber i look at this as an investment and your, your listeners might also see this as an investment most people if they invest just a little bit they want a big return. Everybody wants that. This is two seconds of your day, and it's going to have a huge impact on your day. You're going to have huge returns for that particular investment. Just take the time. Take the time to determine that to love today and the, let the dice decide which way you're going to do that. But just determine to love every single day. Have that intention. If you send out anger, Amber, you're going to get immediate return on your investment. They're going to get angry. You're going to make them have a bad day, and they're going to take it out on people that are within their circle of influence too. 
you're going to spread misery all over the place. No, don't do it. It's not, not a good idea. No. Who wants to be miserable? Who wants that in their life? So sending out love is a whole lot better because they're going to spread it to their, they're going to export it to the people within their circle of influence as well. It's like that uh, the pay it forward that somebody pays for your groceries, you pay for the next guy and just, or, or at the drive-thru or whatever. It's a, it's a better way to do it. Rather than the lunch line, slug him in the shoulder and say, pass it on. If you don't pass it on, you're getting double. I mean, it's just quit that. You got to stop that behavior. Yeah. And just to add to that as well, it's like I can attest to this, and I'm sure any listener can attest to this as well, but you could be having the crappiest day. I mean, like everything seems to be falling down on you. You're like, not this is not going well. That's not going well. This person was mean to me, whatever, you know. Um, and it takes one act of kindness to kind of transition that. Turn I've seen that just, yeah, just this week. I kind of went through like a tough week and had had just felt like everything was happening all at one time and um, got a really, really sweet message. And it was like all of a sudden, it just, that was that one message just transformed my my outlook made me maybe a much happier person that day so we mm -hmm. have no idea the amount of impact one small act of kindness can be for someone and for anybody who's listening i i do think back to those times when this has happened you've had a really bad day and it takes one person to just say hey you look beautiful today and you're like oh that's nice after all the bad stuff that's happened that kind of covers a multitude of of negative but it's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, you do look beautiful today. So. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing when we can, when we can start to do these things for people. And so I, I love your heart behind this and it's a very creative thing as well. And you sold me on it. I'm going to have to go to the website when we get off the call and get me a pair of those dice for my kids and for me. I'm just joking, but um, so Paul, tell me like, this is an amazing product that came from a childhood of, of some pain. And, um, do you have like, do you have any advice for anyone that maybe like they're in the midst of pain, but transforming that into power? Absolutely, Amber. I think that probably the best best thing is that there, there, I have a picture behind me. I don't think I'm, if you're listening, you may may not be able to see the picture, but it's a picture of a sunrise on a lake, and it's the the sunrise kind of mirrors the lake. And um, this was a picture that I actually took um, when I was fishing on, on this lake at sunrise, and it was just uh, just um, it reminded me of an epiphany I had several years ago. I had a, a route driving job that I, I got up before dawn. I came home after after sunset. And I, while I was on that road, I'd see the sunrise, sunset every day, every day, every day. And then one day it just occurred to me that the very best sunrises and the very best sunsets all have clouds. So we all have mm. problems in our life. <clears throat> we all have things that we're going through. But when it comes to the end of our life, we'll look back on those clouds in the sunset of our life. We'll look back on those clouds. We'll see the silver linings. 
we'll see we'll see the light refracting on those on those clouds and hopefully it'll be a beautiful sunset of how we worked through those problems if you've got problems right now as i said just slow down don't pile them on top of one another take one at a time find out what are you doing what is the description of that problem find out where you're at on the spectrum and then determine where you're going to go with that one problem and just take it one at a time don't be piling on yourself somebody else has already done that don't do it to yourself just slowly take it one at a time and just you'll emerge you'll emerge and that'll be a beautiful sunset for you at the end of your life mm -hmm. that's a really beautiful analogy i've not heard that before but that's that's really good where you know every and you're right the most beautiful sunsets are the ones that have clouds so i i love that and it's so true it's so true and again we live in a culture in a world where you know, there's a lot of negativity surrounding us as humans and, but you can be the catalyst of change, um, you know, to the people that are, you're around in your direct circle, you can, you can impact people on a massive way. And I think, you know, definitely gets you some of these die because <laughs> that can help you impact people even more so. And, you know, you never know, you never know, it could change, change someone's life and change the trajectory of their life um so i'm huge on impact and i love that it's this is a very impact driven um product so uh and then so tell us real fast before we kind of start trying to wrap up here um what your book talk to us a little bit about does the book help kind of share this idea of of sharing uh, acts of love. Absolutely. So it's called the role of love, and it's a it's a book that I, that I wrote last year. And and by the time I had it all edited and and the cover worked on, and I published it right at the first of this year. So it's a brand new book. A couple months ago, it became an international bestseller. Um, and it's just um, just a book that tells you a little bit about the different roles of love. Um, one of the roles that we talked about today is the role of observation. But it also covers all the roles, the roles of gifts, the roles of touch, the roles of service, the roles of the words, uh, the roles of time. It covers all five love languages. So it'll tell you all about that. It'll give you some suggestions that way. There are some other resources on my website. If you go to um, roleoflove.com, and it's spelled R-O-L-E of love.com. R-O-L-E is what I was looking for in my life. I was looking for something to change me within not R-O-L-L, which would be outside of me. That's what you do with the dice. So you got have kind of have the yin and the yang with just a word play like that. Roll is outside of you. R-O-L-E, roll is inside you. So it's rolloflove.com. You can find the book and the journal and the dice on that. If you are listening to the podcast and, and prefer the audible version of books that you're listening using your car as a university of learning, if you're doing that, you'll need to go to Amazon to get the audible version of the book. And you, you don't want to type in role of love there because you're going to get love this, love that, love a million things. It's going to be a needle in the haystack to try to find the book there. Just type in my name under Paul Zolman. You'll be able to find quickly find the journal and the book and the audible version of the book on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, the, these this idea is not just for 
um, couples. It can be for couples. It can be for anyone just in general. It can be for children. It, it's really for everybody, huh? Absolutely. I, I developed it, Amber, while I was single. So, and just because I did not have a significant other to love, to me, that was a, just a, what a Dr. Chapman suggested, just do it to significant others is a part-time job. You're not with your significant others all day long. You're not. If, if you were say that you're loving with them and then you go to work, you're not loving and you forget that you're back from work and you forget, oh, I'm supposed to be loving again. It just mixes it up. It's more easier to develop a, a character trait of being consistent and being consistent with love wherever you go, whoever you're meeting, whoever it is, and be especially nice though to your spouse and your children. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just say that, you know, if anybody who's listened that has ever been married, marriage is one of the hardest, most challenging things I think that people can go through because you're learning to be with another person 100% of the time. And um, I, would just encourage anyone who, you know, if, if you are married, this is a great idea. If you're not married, it's also a great idea because it's going to train you to really be the person that you need to be when you get into a relationship. Um, that's gonna, you know, your mind is already wrapped around these things. You're already used to doing these things and it makes for a much more pleasant relationship. <laughs> so. Absolutely. It makes you more marriageable material. If you're single and you want to be more marriageable material, this this is a this is a good tool for that. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing I want to say, Amber, is that um, there you may have some people or in your audience that like yoga. At the end of every yoga class, the class the the leader or the instructor will put their hands together like this, and and put their thumbs to the chest, and then they'll say Namaste. Namaste is kind of the, has the same flavor as this. And a lot of people say that the Hindu version might of this uh, saying might say that the God in me sees the God in you or the divine in me sees the divine in you. So you're always watching for the good of other people. Namaste is one of those words that very similar to exactly what we're trying to accomplish here. So if you're a yoga student, this is a perfect perfect way to extend that feelings that you have at yoga of seeing the good in other people to extend it to the, your, the rest of your life as well. I love it. This is, this has been wonderful. I, I appreciate your time coming on and sharing all these things with us and really explaining that to us. And, uh, you know, we're in what almost in September now. So, um, with the holidays coming up. So if you have uh, someone to buy for, this is a really meaningful gift. And um, I went to your website, I checked everything out. It looks, ev everything looks, you know, really very appealing. So I'd love to send people to you and we'll put all of that in the show notes as well. It's been a delight. And, um, and this is a wedding time of the year too. A lot of people getting married in the fall. So perfect wedding gift, it's right within the range too. It's a lot less than a therapy session. So take, take it on. <laughs> and, and, or marriage counseling. <laughs> so, uh, yep. Yep. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate having you today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to through the trauma podcast. 
If you have found value in this episode or believe in the mission behind what we are doing, please subscribe so that you never miss any future episodes. Also, be sure to check out our Transformation Project at transformationthroughtraumaproject.com where we help inspirational stories get heard on a larger scale through multiple platforms. If you know someone who can benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Until next time.